It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. Today on our weekly episode, McCade and I take our usual look around the league as injuries and illness continue to impact championship contenders. We'll also look at the conference and division standings as the regular season begins to wind down. For our jazz conversation this week, we go on a numbers binge, comparing this year's team with last season's jazz team. But first, McCade draws the ire of Donovan Mitchell on Twitter. Let's get the explanation straight from McCade's mouth. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. Welcome back to Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined as always by McCade Pearson. McCade, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be doing our standings watch. We'll talk about who's rising, who's falling. Who's just playing out the string until the end of the season? We're going to have some awesome jazz conversation today. And, McKid, you threw together what I can only call a smorgasbord of numbers comparing the 2020 jazz and this season's jazz. So can you give us just a brief overview of what we're going to be talking about with that? Well, if you want me just to read off numbers for 15 minutes and they get really boring, we can go that route. But, um... (laughs) I was having a conversation on Twitter, like I often do, and started looking up some numbers, like I often do. And I came across some interesting things in terms of the pick and roll. I think so. We're going to dive into a good amount today. And, of course, that's just a giant rabbit hole. So I just started thinking this week about, you know, the Jazz have the same players as last year, so why are they so much better? What is different? And I can tell you what's different numbers-wise, but hopefully as our conversation goes on, we can figure out what is actually different with the eye test because a lot of people think it's, eye test versus analytics, but really it's analytics tell you what to look for with eye test, and the eye test tells you what to look for in analytics, and you just go back and forth trying to find why things are happening. So that's what we're going to try and do today is we'll throw out some points of view or some numbers and then go to the other side and try and figure it out. It's fun that you bring up Twitter because I noticed as I was perusing Twitter this morning that apparently you drew the ire of Donovan Mitchell in a conversation with Tony Jones. What happened there? Always. Anytime Tony Jones quotes me, then people notice and freak out and whatever. So we were just talking about basketball. And so specifically what happened is Baylor was up 20 in the national championship game with like two minutes to go. And it didn't matter anymore. But a player got his hand on the ball and then saved it on his own side of the court. And Gonzaga caught it and swung it around and took an open three. But the player who knocked it out of bounds had turned around and hustled his butt off like crazy to get back and kind of half contest the shot. And so it was a crazy, crazy, crazy hustle play. But hustle doesn't always equal a good play you know we're taught when we're five years old that hustle is always a good thing um and to play hard but i think especially once you get to the high school and then especially the college and nba level hustle doesn't always mean it's the smart thing to do or the good thing to do so we're just having a conversation yeah donovan did tweet back at tony and it was a good laugh and then <laughs> people i don't know on twitter start going crazy and then people i do know on twitter start dming me and be like dude are you okay like these people are crazy and it's all fun and games and people think i care and not to be rude, but I really don't. I usually just turn off Twitter and go do homework and go watch the Lakers game last night or I watched the Blazers-Clippers game last night or whatever's on. Then I get back on Twitter and everyone's freaking out. And it doesn't get to me. <laughs> Twitter's a fun, fun place. Twitter is the best. You know how much I love social media. I don't know. I think I know what play you're talking about. And the only thing that I would say, I agree with you that technically it's not a smart basketball play, but if I was coaching guys... I'd much rather have a player like that who I have to pull the reins back on a little bit than somebody who I have to coax and cajole to try and show that amount of hustle. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and you're not wrong, and that's why people watch film. Is you watch that after the game, you know, if that three-pointer goes in, <laughs> then that clip isn't being posted on Twitter all over the place. As I mentioned, national championship game, you're up 22 minutes ago, so it's not a play that's impacting the media winning percentage of that game and hustle is a really good trait to have and i don't think just because you play in college or the nba means you're hustling all the time you're playing hard all the time that is still a skill you know we look at it as kind of like a thing everyone does but it's a skill to still do it it's a good thing to have um you know i was talking to somebody he said well usually this is a thing i said yes exactly usually you just said usually and this is one of those few cases where it usually does not apply so always good to see people hustle it's not a bad thing but just in that particular play i thought it was interesting yeah, I, I see your point. It makes total sense. All right, let's go ahead and get started on this one. First, before we go to our news and notes, McCade, let's just recap the Jazz last week. We can do this real quick. They go 3-1, and one, wins over the Grizzlies, Bulls, and Magic. Then they lose to the Mavericks on Monday night. Are there any grand scheme takeaways for you from this 3-1 and one week? 
No, I do have my quality versus quantity uh, graphic I have up on Tableau.com that I post all the time. And the Jazz one over the Mavericks was the number one net true shooting percentage game in the league this year. So the Jazz were shot 25% better than the Magic that game. So you're going to win games and you shoot 25% better than your opponent, I found out. But that's wow. all I got for this week. <laughs> yeah, that game against the Magic was insane. They made 18 threes in the first half, right? Yeah, I think the final was 26-2. to two on three-pointers made. Um, the previous record in the NBA was 20, and the Jazz finished at a plus 24 behind the arc. So there you go. Well, let's jump into the news and notes portion now, McCade. And I put this note first, not because it matters this year at all, but just because the thought of full arenas gets me so excited. The NBA and Adam Silver announced the other day that they expect all arenas to be open at full capacity for next season. It doesn't matter today. It doesn't matter for the playoffs. But I can't wait to be back in the Viv with another 19,000 fans around me yelling and screaming for the Jazz. Yes, sir. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens with this year's playoffs. And obviously every state is a little bit different. The league's up to the 22 out of 30 teams are now allowing fans. Um, so, you know, we're closing in on every team having fans in arenas and just more and more and more fans as we go along. Uh, the Texas Rangers had a full uh, sellout game. I think oh. they're just doing it for one game, though. I think they did their opener, and then they're going back down to 50% capacity for the rest of the season. The reason why the Rangers were able to have full attendance, this is a little-known fact about COVID. It actually respects the sanctity of opening day and refuses to <laughs> spread on opening day. Now, every other day the rest of the year, it's a big problem. So, that's, so Can we just classify every day as opening day? I that's wish. That's my new proposal. But then opening day would lose its magic and its luster. And i got to tell you, McCade, of all the holidays, I think opening day is probably my favorite one. <laughs> we can leave that just that one opening day. But regardless of if that one was a great idea in this scenario or not, that does mean we are getting there. That does mean at least somebody out there was crazy enough to do it. We're, we're getting closer. The Jazz, I think, are up over 5,000 fans now and are slowly ticking it up as well. So hopefully next season, about five months out, full fans. Five, I don't want to say back to normal because I'm not sure we'll ever get back to quote-unquote normal um, just because I don't remember what normal is after yeah. 13, 14 months. But more normal for sure. There were a few signings though around the league, so let's dive into those real quick, and then we can dive into the standings. Yeah, the Heat were long expected to get LaMarcus Aldridge. He ended up signing with the Nets, so they go out and get a different big man. Dwayne Dedman's going to be with the Miami Heat for the rest of the season. Is that an impactful move? I heard it coming a couple weeks ago after LaMarcus Aldridge signed. I saw someone was like, hey, Dwayne Dedman's injured. He has a hip problem. He's been recovering in Miami, and the Heat might have some interest. So no surprise there that they end up signing him, but I don't think it matters. The other big signing recently that we've seen has been Ben McLemore with the Lakers. He was waived by the Rockets, ends up getting picked up by the Lakers. And McLemore is, I think... From everything I've seen out there, and you know, maybe we can ask our, our buddy with the Rockets, Nima, about this one, but it seemed like the Rockets had high hopes of being able to get something of value back for Ben McLemore at some point this year, and he's struggled all season long. He's never been a great shooter. I think he's a former, was it a number seven pick out of Kansas? Ooh, eight? Yeah, he, eight. He was a, a mid-lottery pick years yeah. ago by Sacramento. Never really lived up to the hype. Does this one have any impact with the Lakers? I mean, obviously, if he can find his shot and LeBron can come back healthy, he's going to get a lot of open looks. But I don't know if, if Ben McLemore is the answer to the problems that plague the Lakers right now. Yeah, I'll say this. Ben McLemore doesn't hurt the Lakers. So, yeah, he came in the league as a shooter, a lot of Ray Allen uh, comparisons in the draft process, and he just never worked out. He is shooting 40% from three the last two years with the Rockets. Um mostly James Harden kickouts and all that fun stuff. But ever since James Harden got traded, he hasn't had much value because he's not getting the same good looks. Theoretically, he goes back to being a 40-45% three-point shooter next to LeBron James. But I don't know if the Lakers need another player next to LeBron James. I think the Lakers are just looking to bolster the depth a little bit and the bench of the non-LeBron James minutes. So if he's playing with LeBron James, he'll be good. But I think you can say that about just about any player in the league. If yep. they're playing next to LeBron James, they'll be a lot better, especially spot-up shooters. So I don't think it makes a huge impact, but I don't hate it. It doesn't hurt. So that is always good, as we've seen with the Jazz this year. Okay, 
this last thing I have in news and notes, this is a team that's starting to remind me a lot of the Clippers last season, and there were so many expectations, and they brought in so many new players, but guys were never healthy. They never had their full complement of players healthy at any point to develop consistency during the regular season. I'm looking at the Brooklyn Nets as Kevin Durant's expected to return tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday, April 7th. But now James Harden is out for 10 days. And then you never know in the next 10 days how Kevin Durant is going to be doing. Everything that was going on with his injury, it does seem like it was the abundance of caution from the Brooklyn Nets. But you never know. This is still a guy, a seven-footer coming back from a torn Achilles and things can crop up quickly, and he's had that foot issue a few years ago in OKC, the torn Achilles now, and now it's uh, I think it's a, a quad that he's dealing with or a hamstring out there in Brooklyn, and just the, the lower body injuries start to pile up with Kevin Durant. James Harden's probably not a guy that we worry about in terms of his health. He's an Iron Man. He has been for years with the Rockets, and so I would imagine that this 10 days is another example of an overabundance of caution. Kyrie Irving, you never know what his mental state is going to be or when he's going to decide to leave or not give his full effort. What do you think about the Brooklyn Nets? What does this Kevin Durant return mean? So I think they're at seven games played together so far, um, which is not many. Assuming, which is, of course, a big assuming this, that James Harden is back in 10 days and Kyrie's playing and KD is actually healthy. They will have a 14-game stretch to end of the season where they theoretically could play together. So maximum, you're going to be at 20 games. Assuming Harden misses another game or two, assuming KD misses another game or two and whatnot, you know, who knows, they could get injured again. You're looking at probably 15 games for these guys um, before the playoffs with all three of them, and that can be a little concerning because it's worked really well this year when they've had two of them. But the question always be, can they feed all three mouths? And we haven't really had to answer that question too much yet. So... I still think they're the title favorite as of right now just because of the insane amount of talent they have. But you can totally see the path where they just get in a sketchy playoff series and all of a sudden a few bounces don't go their way and then they panic because they don't know, you know, is this James Harden's team or Kevin Durant's team? And then Kyrie Irving's like, I hit the three in the finals. Like, I got this too. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm, you can just mm-hmm. get some rough patches and next thing you know you're out of the playoffs um, in the second round. So they do have those questions, but I'm just going to let it play out and watch it and see what happens because I don't think those questions can be answered until you get there. I just, I don't know. I I look at the talent of these three players specifically with Durant and Harden and Irving. I feel like they've got to get on the floor together a little bit more than 10, 12, 15 games this year. They've got to run the system that Steve Nash is putting into place. They've got to be able to understand where each other is going to be. Yeah, you can probably outscore anybody on any given night but that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it with consistency when you haven't spent any time playing the great together and we're just talking about the big three right now they've also got LaMarcus Aldridge who is has a lot of offensive talent hasn't been great defensively they've got Blake Griffin who has shown some signs that he might still be a, a live walking living breathing NBA basketball player but then there's other times where he's still Blake Griffin, and he just looks like a shell of himself. So they'll have my doubts about whether or not they're going to be able to play enough defense. I think it was, was it uh, Kevin O'Connor I was listening to the other day on the, the mismatch with him and Chris Vernon? I think that was who I was listening to. And he was trying to say that the Nets' offense is good enough with everybody healthy that as long as they're uh, 19, 20, 21st ranked defense, they're probably good enough to win the title. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that's kind of the lowest we've seen. That's what the Cavs team was that came back against the Warriors. I think that team was 22nd. But for the most part, you need top 10 in both. Um, but no, I do think what you mentioned is very vital. We saw this with the Celtics a few years ago with, ironically, Kyrie Irving, where some star players missed some games, and everyone below them has to step up. And then when the star players come back, it's hard for those role players to step back down into their roles. And so there's just a lot of, you know, locker room questions there. I do think Mike D'Antoni is a great, fantastic coach and can help with that. I think Steve Nash is a great former player and new head coach who can help with that. Um, if they let him, you know, we've seen Kyrie Irving talk about how they don't need a coach and that kind of stuff. So I'm really interested to see how this all plays out and just kind of what Brooklyn does with the results of this season moving forward to see, because I don't know if you can really stick with this for four, five, six years until all these guys age, um, which might actually be better. Maybe when they're all a little worse, it adds up to be more than the sum of their, the sum of their parts add up to be more than individuals. So 
we'll see what happens there. Um, the Nets are a big question mark moving forward as the season wraps down. Um, the seven are standings watchers. The first one I want to talk about there is actually the Nets. All right, well, let's take a quick break, McCade, and then we'll come back and do that standings watch. We'll start in the Eastern Conference with the Brooklyn Nets. We will be right back. Time out. How about this, Jazz? If you haven't had a chance, check out the Jazz Pod Co-op on Twitter. It's a group of podcasts with like-minded people that just want to share their opinions on the Jazz. Here's a preview. Mark and Doug Hintzy on the twos and threes. The weird things about dude shots is like my favorite like NBA subcategory of and like or they're like the length of their arms affecting something. I, I'm, I'm like whether they jump off of one foot or because, two foot. Right. Like, Emily and McCoy on the jazz gals. If anything, that video also reminded me like how just a few inches difference it was between us being on one side versus the other, you know, like, well, we all know a few inches can make a difference. Who Logan and Jared on hitting the high notes. I don't even care if they're hurt. I mean, we're not going to dance on any injuries, but yes. I can't make any promises. I don't even care if it's a fluke or we cheat. I don't even care. I'll take yeah. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? Um, yeah. That's what they say. And Brian and McCade on home court press. With Boyan, Memphis is really struggling to shoot. So giving Boyan to the Grizzlies and then having the Grizzlies forward our first-round pick onto another team, if you can get Boyan a first-round pick and then get Memphis to throw in a first-round pick in the A and take Boyan, a lot of possibilities open for a guy like John Collins. Welcome back to Home Court Press. Brian Priest joined by McCade Pearson. We just got done taking a look around the league with some extensive Brooklyn Net conversation and whether or not they are actually going to be a championship contender, whether they can actually all be healthy at the same time. There's a lot left to be seen with this Brooklyn Nets team. But let's start right there, McCade, in the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia and Brooklyn are tied for first in the conference right now. Give me your thoughts on that situation. No, so I think this is a very important matchup to watch down the stretch. I think the one seed is a very, very big deal in the Eastern Conference because you don't have to play Milwaukee in the second round, and that helps a lot. So I do think both teams are all out trying to get the one seed, especially Philly has talked about it vocally out loud a lot that they really want the one seed. But the Nets have caught them, and they're currently tied. A week from today, next Wednesday, the Nets are in Philly, and that will decide the tiebreakers. So that's basically a double game. You get the win and their loss and the tiebreaker. So that will have a huge swing in who gets the one seed. So look forward to that on ESPN next week. Um, see who comes out there. And the Bucks are only two games back, so don't count them out yet. I still think the Bucks are on paper. Um, and in principle, you know, the Nets have the highest potential, but I think the Bucks have the lowest floor in the East, but they're just still so good with two-time MVP Giannis that I think it's not out of the realm of possibilities for them to make up those two games if they go on a little run. So top three is still the top three. They're going to be that way the rest of the season, but next Wednesday's game is huge. So Atlanta's surging right now. They've won four in a row, and six of their last ten, they've moved all the way up to fourth in the Eastern Conference. Are, are the Hawks actually a threat? Uh, I don't know if I'd say they're a threat. Um, I think they're a threat to be that random 14 that makes a second of the playoffs. I still like Miami on paper, but I, I don't know if they're ever going to get it rolling after the finals appearance. They're right there, and Charlotte's right there. But Charlotte Charlotte has some injuries. Um, Gordon Hayward's out for about a month. Lamelo Ball's had surgery. Both are expected to return at the end of the regular season for the playoffs. But, you know, all of a sudden, if they lose a couple games, they might be in the play-in or even outside the playoffs. So things are a little sketchy there. So I do think Atlanta has a very, very good chance to be in that 4-5 matchup, maybe even have home court advantage. And at that point, you know, you're just a few wins away from another mediocre team from sneaking in the second round. And, you know, that's impressive. Anytime you get to the second round of the playoffs, that's a fun season. Uh, Jazz fans know that very well. We had a very fun win against Oklahoma City and a very fun win um, against the Clippers the year before that. Like, it's fun to get to the second round, even if you're not quite a championship contender. Last Eastern Conference team I feel like we should take a look at today, the Chicago Bulls. They make the big trade for Nikola Vucevic going all in on this year. And while I think you and I agree it doesn't make them a championship contender, they're 10th in the Eastern Conference right now at 21 and 28, but they're only four games behind the Charlotte Hornets for fifth in the, the conference. Charlotte's obviously dealing with some injuries. They're going to be without LaMelo Ball the rest of the season. Gordon Hayward is now out a month. And that was the exact issue that I always said about the Hornets signing Gordon Hayward is he's just such an injury concern at this point. It's hard to depend on him for 82 games or 72 games and a postseason. But the Chicago Bulls, I think this Bulls team is built really well. They've got some great pieces. And 
I fully expect them to get into at least seven or eight in the East. Do you think they can go higher than seven or eight? Yeah, um, you know, time's running short. We only have about five weeks left in the season. But I did watch the Bulls game last night. So the Bulls are 10 and the Pacers are 9. So if the season ended today, Bulls at Pacers would be the 9-10 matchup. And that was the game in the NBA last night. So I turned that on for the first half. And the Bulls end up winning that game by 20 because the Pacers are dealing with some injuries right now. They didn't have Sabonis or Brogdon um, or Jeremy Lamb. So, But the Bulls are completely trying to change their style of play in a lot of ways. I think they were 22nd in post-ups and post-up scoring. Uh, before the trade, and now they're first in all those categories because Vucevic is just such a monster in the post. He's kind of like he's a very under the radar Jokic. He's not as good as Jokic, obviously, but he's that same idea of let's run the offense through a big man in the post who can pass pretty well. And so if they start to figure that out, hopefully they turn a corner and win some more games because I do think if they get up to that seven or eight spot, then obviously you have to lose twice instead of win twice to make the playoffs, and that gives them a lot of value. Um, assuming the Hornets can hold off these teams, I do expect the plane to be Knicks, Celtics, Pacers, Bulls in some order, and that'll be a ton of fun for the planes no matter where it falls. Although, as we're, the further you get in the season, the more separation you're seeing, so we'll kind of see how it all plays out there, and if the Bulls can make up ground this late in the season. I haven't checked out their schedule like I have some other teams, um, but I am pretty high on the Bulls, if not for this year, for the future. I think uh, Levine Vucevic is a good foundation that you can build around, and I do think having two All-Stars, both of them not on max deals, is very, very valuable. You know, almost every... If you're an All-Star these days, you're on a max deal, or on your rookie contract, going to be on a max deal, and so that Two all-stars that aren't on max deals is crazy that they can build it off the next few years with some actually with actually some salary space around those guys. How sad is the Eastern Conference? You talk about your prediction of the Knicks, Celtics, Pacers, and Bulls being involved in the play-in. And <laughs> the idea of the play-in is really exciting. And those games are going to be fun because of that idea and trying to get into the playoffs. But, man, those four teams just sound like kind of a frenetic slop fest of marginal basketball. I just want to see one playoff game at Madison Square Garden, and then I'm good. And then, you know, of course, whoever gets a 7-8 in that side is just going to get destroyed by Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee. So, you know, I don't want to say whatever because it's still fun to make the playoffs and good growth. Like, if you're the Knicks who have made the playoffs a couple times in the past 20 years, like, that's fun. The Celtics are probably disappointing, and the Pacers have made the playoffs and got swept every year since I was born, basically. So, you know, I'm sure they don't really care to get swept again. So, you know, it, it's fun, though, to have that push. So, I'll wrap up the Easter Conference with this. First of all, Toronto's done, and I don't know why. Pascal Siakam's falling off a cliff. But Matthew Delvadova came out this week and was like, yeah, we're, we're ready to make our playoff push. You know, we're going to get into that 10 seed and see what we can do. And <laughs> the Cavaliers are currently like three games behind that 10 spot. And I was just like, what are we doing here? Like, I guess this is what the NBA wanted is playoff chasing instead of uh, ping pong ball chasing. But Matthew Delvadova's comments did throw me off. He was like, yep, we're finally getting healthy. We got Jared Allen now. We got all these guys. Like, we're ready to make a playoff push. Um, so there you go. The Cavaliers are in full playoff mode, as they said, a couple games behind the 10 seed. I don't know what Matthew Delavadova is drinking or smoking, but I'd like some of both. Please. let's. Hey, uh, he, he led the Cavaliers to a title once in his life. He can do it again. You make a really good point. Well, let's go West, McCade. The Jazz still in the one spot in the Western Conference, still playing really good basketball. They are two and a half games up on the Suns. That it, it, I think tonight's a really big game for these two teams. It's probably bigger for the Suns as far as the standings go, but being able to go out and beat the team right behind you in the standings on the road, I think would be a big statement for this Jazz team, but probably doesn't have a lot of impact on the postseason standings you know, as the year plays itself out. So we're looking at two through, what, two through six, two through seven in the West right now between the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Lakers the Trailblazers, and the Mavericks, one of those teams is going to be in a play-in. Yes, and I, I, so Portland has a super tough schedule. Dallas has a super easy schedule. And the Lakers have a pretty tough schedule, and no LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So we'll see kind of what falls out there. I will say with the Suns, there's still about a 5% chance they get the one seed, but that path is beat the Jazz both times. Um, in Phoenix, and then somehow do better than the Jazz in their hard schedule versus our easy schedule, because at that point you're even. So, you know, if the Jazz win tonight, then it's like over, and they jump up top of 99% to get the number one seed. So, you mentioned that. The Jazz are good regardless of what happens tonight. We don't need to overreact on Twitter tonight with the Jazz lose. It's not a big deal. Um, teams lose all the time on the road. We're playing at the second-best team in the West. As for the play-in, 
it, it's going to be tight and tough, and every game's going to matter. And I think 538 has 567 separated by just a game or two right now. Oh. And so, you know, every game is just super, super important. If you can sneak out one win um, in L.A. if you're the Blazers last night that they did not do or something like that, it can totally save you from a play-in or a bad playoff matchup or whatnot. So yeah, every night's just so vital. I will say it is easy just to assume that, oh, the Lakers are playing the Grizzlies in the 7-8 matchup. The Lakers are going to win that game. But as we've seen in March Madness time and time again, when you get down to a one-game sample size, especially in the NBA among good playoff teams, anything can happen. And so you do not want to be on that playing game. You think it's an easy win to get into the playoffs. You lose one game, all of a sudden you're in the play-in game, and then you lose that game and you're out. You know, Just a minor injury of day-to-day injury that knocks you out could swing your season. You need to avoid the play-in game at all costs. And I think the Mavericks, Blazers, and Lakers are the three teams that are specifically trying to get out of that game. And there's still no word yet on an Anthony Davis or LeBron James returns, right? No, so they're traveling with the team on this road trip, which surprised me, but I still don't think they play on this road trip. They have Orlando, both New York teams, and Washington. Uh, No, Charlotte, not Washington, left on this road trip before they come home and play the Jazz. And I still haven't heard anything. I still think we're a couple weeks out, and I don't think either of them is going to be playing against the Jazz. Maybe Anthony Davis. But I don't think I think for sure LeBron James is missing both those Jazz games here in a week and a half. You don't want to touch that seven seed if you're the Lakers. The play-in games are a worst-case scenario for this Lakers team. Even if they do win them, they're so much older than a lot of their opponents out west. The two games behind the eight ball, then you have to go on the road to whoever you you were going to face, whether it be it, like say if you end up with the seven seed and you have to go on the road to play either Phoenix or the Clippers, or the Nuggets, that's a terrible path for the Los Angeles Lakers. And they've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, so they'll probably have the two best players on the floor night after night after night, as long as those two are healthy. But, yeah, you definitely want to avoid those play-in games well, at all And the all thing possible. is, the Lakers are good enough, obviously, to win a championship, but they're good enough to pull off an upset. You know, They can get the seventh seed and upset Phoenix. But can they upset Phoenix without home court advantage and then upset the Clippers without home court advantage and then upset the Jazz without home court advantage? I don't know. Once you start compounding those things, it gets so much more tough um, to do it series after series after series to get out of the West. So they are definitely in some trouble. They need to figure things out quickly. They looked pretty good last night um, against the Raptors, who have just completely forgotten that they were a championship team a few years ago. So there are signs of hope, but they do need their top 10 players back, obviously, like any team would. Only a game and a half up on the Trailblazers right now, three games up on the Mavericks. And if they do continue to fall, they're four and six in their last 10. And as this schedule gets more and more difficult for the Lakers, you can definitely envision a scenario where they're, they have to play in both of those play-in games. And yeah, so I, I got my fingers crossed out, for it. The Mavericks do have the second easiest schedule left, um, just ahead of the Jazz. So... The Mavericks are going to continue to surge. Um, the Lakers do play in Dallas the game after they play the Jazz at home. So that's probably the target goal for LeBron James right now is i got to play in that Dallas game because if they lose that game, then it gets really, really tight, obviously. Um, especially we'll see where we're at in two weeks. So that's probably the game he has circled is that Mavericks game as the Mavericks will look to pass the Lakers then. All right, McKay, do you get anything else for the standings conversation? Um, I'm all focused on the eight seed. The Jazz are going to be the one seed, and I'm 100% focused on the eight seed. It's still looking like Memphis, Golden State, New Orleans, San Antonio right now. Um, kind of whoever three of those teams will make the play-in, two of them will play to play the Jazz, and one of them will come out. I still hope it's Memphis or San Antonio, um, and I prefer to stay away from Golden State or New Orleans. But we'll, there's a lot of moving on to do there. And the thing is, even when the regular season ends, we won't know because we got to watch the playing games to find out. So the Jazz will not know who they're playing until – that Thursday, the week of the playoffs. So it'll be fun. But we can't just point down and say, oh, look, the eight seed has a two-game lead or the two games back. That's what the Jazz are going to play because of the new playing format. All right, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll finish by comparing last year's Jazz to this year's Jazz and why are they so much better with much of the same personnel. Thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Time out. How about this Jazz? Thanks for tuning in today. It's Season 2 of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And please, if you like what you're hearing, remember to share, rate, and review so that we can expand our audience. 
Home Court Press can also be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter as well at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. And take note. Now, back to the show. Welcome back into Home Court Press. This is your joined by McCabe Pearson with my co-host, or actual host, Brian Priest. Um, we want to have a quick conversation on the 2020 Utah Jazz versus the 2021 Utah Jazz. We're a lot better of a basketball team this year, and we have pretty much the same personnel back, except for Derek Favors returning home to Utah. And so what is different? What has been the keys that Quinn Snyder has put in to the system that has made it work so much better and flow so much better this year? Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation and definitely worth having because there's so many different things that you could bring up in this conversation, whether it be some changes that Quinn Snyder has made and how the offense is run or personnel changes and bringing back Derek Favors, guys getting more comfortable in the system, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley being examples of that. Or, you know, is it just a case of this is a fluky year and it's hard to predict or understand why anything is happening and the Jazz just happen to have shots falling? There's so many different explanations that you could come up with. And honestly, I with the right argument, I might be willing to buy any of those. Yeah, so something that I don't think we're going to figure out here as we talk about this for 20 minutes or so, um, it would take hours and hours and hours and tons of film study and went on to actually figure it out. And even then, it's a pretty open-ended question. But there are a few things that I noticed. But let's just start off generally, you know, what is the improvement? So offensively, the Jazz are up seven points, which I think is the big thing. Um, they go from 10th to 1st there. Defensively, they're about two points better. Um, of course, the league gets a lot better offensively, so that two points is probably more like three or four compared to the average. So that goes from 11th to second. That means the net rings up ton. But the number one side I found interesting in terms of just, you know, are the Jazz a little bit better is the way Vegas views them, because Vegas usually has a pretty good hold on things. And last year, the Jazz were 29th uh, in the league against the spread. They lost, on average, by negative 1.9 points um, against the spread. And this year, they're up to third. They're beating the spread by a couple points a game, 2.3 points a game. So we're doing a lot better according to Vegas and expectations. That's been throughout the entire season. Um, some of that's just, you know, the Jazz are favored by 10 points, and they blow them out by 20. But that's important stuff. So that's good stuff. So the Jazz are doing a lot, lot better in that sense. And so it makes sense that they're doing a lot better overall. Now, where those numbers are coming from is obviously a little bit harder to dissect and a little bit more interesting. I think we've all noticed the offensive rebounding difference this year, jumping from 21st to 4th in offensive rebounding percentage is huge. And I think that's been Quinn Snyder's. I think Quinn's made two big adjustments, and that's the number one adjustment that's made a huge impact on the Jazz offense. Because then you just get up more shots, you know, you get better second chances. Um, there's a reason they call them second chance points. And it just makes for a much, much better offense. And it hasn't come at the downfall the defense which i think is important yeah well you and i have talked about transition and being able to get back in defense get back on defense and transition opportunities for their opponents and a big part of that is the offensive rebounding that the jazz are are able to do you said they're fourth in the league right now getting almost 28 percent of their missed shots as offensive rebounds and just that mere fact makes their opponents have to crash the glass just a little bit more it makes them one or two steps slower transitioning from defense to offense and allows the Jazz more opportunity to get back. They love to use that Euro foul. And you and I were talking, what, two, three weeks ago about it would be fun to go back and figure out what percentage of Joe Ingles' fouls are in the open court in a Euro fashion. And so I think that's something that's helped him out. And just focusing on the offensive glass. With Rudy and Derek Favors at the center position for 48 minutes a game, it gives the Jazz a huge advantage. They're pretty small across the rest of the lineup, but Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson have both upped their rebounding numbers significantly. Donovan Mitchell's carried his additional guard rebounding from the bubble over to this season. So I think it's what's fun about the Jazz and their rebounding is that it's coming from, it's not just Rudy getting two or three more a night. It's not just Derek Favors coming in and getting three or four more rebounds than the Jazz were getting last year. It's a collective group effort. And that really is kind of the case for everything that we look at with this, this Jazz team. They are the epitome of the sum of its parts are greater than the whole. Yeah, and you know, it's a big shout-out to Royce O'Neal, like you mentioned, and some of the other guards, because it seems to be a lot of these extra offensive rebounds are coming from 
the guards in the corners um, crashing the glass after a shot goes up because you do want the guys at the top of the key, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, whoever it may be, to get back on defense. But if you're Royce O'Neal or Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson just standing in the corner and that shot goes up, you're already a step behind to get back on defense anyway, so might as well swing by the basket on your way out. And that's been a huge beneficiary to the Jazz, as I mentioned. You know, an extra 3% of offensive rebounds a game, that's an extra two possessions a game that the Jazz are getting. And when you score a point on each of those possessions, there's an extra two points, and that's worth about six or seven wins. So there's six or seven wins right there just from chasing the glass. And that's something I complained about last year, um, that it really bugged me the Jazz didn't crash the offensive glass more. And then Tony Bradley, who had one of the top ten offensive rebounding seasons of all time last year, got traded. And I was really worried that, okay, that was, that was our offensive rebounding right there, just got traded. Um, and Favors has done a great job replacing that to an extent. Um, you know, you're not going to replace a top-ten performance of all time, but he's done a great job. Rudy stepped it up a little bit, but it really does come from those guards, and, and it's really impressive what the Jazz have done there, both on the court, and I think Quinn's ability to finally say, hey, let's do this, has been a huge, huge thing. The other thing I want to point out with Quinn, just on the side, is the Rudy Gobert um, three stints in the first in each half instead of two. I think playing him against opposing benches is brilliant. A lot of that does come from the fact that you trust Derek Favors to play against starting centers in this league, so that has also helped. Um, defensively, I think, I don't know why this is so much better, but the Jazz were ninth last year and now first, and just how their opponents shoot the ball. Their opponents just don't make shots like they did last year. Um, that could be fluky. That could just be Rudy's having the best defensive season the NBA has seen in maybe 15 or 20 years, 25 years. Um, the basketball index put out their thing, and they said it's the best they have in their system going back to 2008-2009. And so, you know, Rudy Gobert's just been dominant. It might just be that simple of an answer that Rudy Gobert is a – all-star, all-NBA, potential Hall of Fame player. Um, or it could be more of a team thing. I need to dive into that. But the defense has obviously been a lot better. It's specifically just don't let your opponent make shots and they won't score points, as simple as it sounds. I do think effective field goal percentage has a, just a general flukiness to it because it the stat comes down to whether or not your opponent makes or misses a shot, and that's that's it. And so... While it is a little bit fluky, I do think that the Rudy Gobert factor and what he does at the basket, taking guys away from the basket or forcing difficult shots near the basket, what he can do on the perimeter, what he's able to do by defending the paint and taking so much pressure off of the other Jazz perimeter defenders, they can be a little bit more aggressive on the perimeter because they know Rudy is at the basket to help protect them. I, I think it makes a, a huge difference for this Jazz team. You know, one and a half points better. I don't know necessarily how that is represented in wins and losses, but moving from ninth in the league to first in the league, even if it is a little bit fluky, I th- I think that is representative of a significant improvement in the Jazz defense this year. Yeah, you know, I've talked a lot about quantity versus quality over the months and how the Jazz are just doing really, really well in that uh, quality department. Specifically, um, I just mentioned a couple minutes ago how they were 25% better than the Magic. Um, on Saturday night. So it's definitely a thing that the Jazz are just making shots and their opponents are missing shots, and that's a good way to win basketball games. I think that's pretty common sense, um, as valuable as it is, and the Jazz are doing that. The other thing is I was having a conversation about if Jordan Clarkson, and Don Mitchell and those guys are good uh, isolation players because um, there's been some weird numbers there going on this season, and it led me down a rabbit hole where I really dove into the Jazz pick-and-roll stats from the last couple of years. Um, I will point out a little disclaimer before we get started with this conversation that NBA.com's play type stats are a lot like a shot chart where this only talks about how plays end. So if a shot, if a pick and roll happens with 18 seconds left on the shot clock and the defense stops it and the Jets have to reset with seven seconds to go, then that pick and roll doesn't show up in these numbers. Um, it'll go down as an isolation or a different pick and roll um, depending on what happens the last seven seconds of that possession. So this is just how possessions end, but I still think it's valuable to look at, and specifically when you compare years and just how much better the Jets have been in the pick and roll this year than they were last year. Because we've known for half a decade now that Quinn Snyder loves the pick and roll, the NBA loves the pick and roll, and the Jazz run more pick and rolls than any team um, in the league. We can sit here and talk until we're blue in the face about Rudy Gobert and screen assists and all that fun stuff. Um, but the Jazz really are doing a lot better at it this year. And I can tell you why numbers-wise. I can tell you what's different on the spreadsheet, for lack of a better term. But I'm still trying to figure out the eye test, what it is they're doing differently, or if these guys are just flat-out improved. Let's go through the numbers. I think that I've got some ideas about why it's reflecting differently this year as opposed to what it did last year, even with the same personnel. But let's go through these numbers and see if my thoughts line up. All right. So there's two different ways to classify how a pick-and-roll ends. 
Um, number one is with the ball handler, and this is what happens about 75%, 80% of the time, that Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors sets the screen, and the guard comes off, and they either shoot a pull-up jumper or a three-pointer, or they get to the rim, or they turn the ball over, whatever happens. Um, the Jazz have been number one at that for years. They were at 27.9 last year, 25.4 this year, um, both number ones in the league, and these are usually not super efficient plays. So the Jazz go from 0.9 points per play there to 0.99, so big improvement there why losing two and a half possessions a game. The other way to classify it is the roll man, and this is by far more effective because this is usually a Rudy Gobert dunk or free throws to where you get the ball to Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert. And this is what the Jazz fans think of when they think of pick and roll is Stockton getting it to Malone. Um, this only happens about 20 to 25% of the time. And the Jazz have gone up there from 23rd in the league to 4th in the league in terms of plays. And so I think that's obviously the first big, whoa, that's different moment is the Jazz, Mike Conley specifically, in my opinion, as well as Joe Ingles helps and Donovan Mitchell's became a lot better playmaker and whatnot, but especially Mike Conley actually getting the ball from his hands to Rudy Gobert's hands, I think has been much better this year, and that's helped a lot as well. I think, to me, that's the biggest difference in this Jazz team and why they're more effective in the pick and roll this year. I think that the emphasis is different, and they are putting a lot more emphasis on hitting that roller, hitting Rudy Gobert. I mean, how many times did we see last season where Rudy would roll to the basket, he'd be wide open or have you know, a six-foot-five guy, P.J. Tucker on him, down in the paint, and Jazz guards were unable to get Rudy Gobert the basketball. And now they're taking advantage of that. Every time Rudy has a size advantage or is just open near the basket, they're getting the ball to Rudy Gobert. He's able to do a little bit more offensively. It seems like every game we see another little move, a step-through from Rudy or an underhanded flip or he's able to roll off of the defense for a dunk and he's finishing stronger this year. Those, to me, are the biggest reasons why, especially when the pick-and-roll finishes with the roll man, it's working better this year just because they're emphasizing it. They're looking for it more than they did last year. When you've got ball handlers like Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, they're all very willing passers. And Donovan, we've seen this year his increased on-court acuity and ability to find open looks. Mike Connolly's always been a great passer. Joe Ingles, of course, is one of the most underrated passers in the league. And then Jordan Clarkson, for as much crap as he can get about shooting every time he touches the ball, he really doesn't. He, he does a great job of when the shot clock is running down or the game clock is running down, he's great at creating and I love that from Jordan Clarkson. But within the offense, yeah, he might dribble for 10, 12, 15 seconds, but he's always got his eyes up. He's always looking for somebody to pass it to. Uh, who was it? Was it the Orlando game? Maybe it was Chicago over the weekend where Clarkson was dribbling at the top of the key and just rifled a baseball-style pass to Derek Favors in the paint. Last year, I don't think that was the type of pass the Jazz were able to make. And I think it had some to do with guys like Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley were just never really fully comfortable in the offense. And that they they didn't have guys that you could trust throwing that pass to. I'm sorry, I know you love Tony Bradley, but Tony Bradley's <laughs> not catching that ball like Derek Favors did the other night. Yeah, and you know, Clarkson did have eight assists the other night, tying his Jazz career high. So you're seeing that with... Clarkson um, and Conley specifically, that they are getting that ball out better. Um, and then we got to shout out Rudy Gobert's improvement on the short roll. He People think that he doesn't have any moves or anything like that. Like, if you get Gobert the ball at the free throw line when him moving already, he has enough uh, agility to figure out a way to get to the rim and lay it in. Or he's done a great job this year being able to kick out to the corners and hit threes, and those go down to spot up shooting, which the Jazz have done better at this year, and, you know, the Jazz just shoot 40% from three, so that's great, obviously. Um, so Rudy Gobert in the short roll, I think, has been fantastic, scoring the ball and passing it out into spot-up opportunities. Um, so quickly, overall, the Jazz are getting an extra point, an extra 0.1 points per play out of these pick-and-rolls, which is just a huge jump. I mentioned the 18 to 23% from last year to this year and getting the ball to roll, man, how important that is. And I think that's very, very valuable. And so you throw in that extra 0.1 point per play, and then you throw in the fact that you're getting 3% more rebounds off those plays, and then all of a sudden you're getting an extra, you know, what, eighth of a point per play, and you do this play 30 times a game, and that's worth you know extra two or three points a game. And it's a big, big deal what they're doing. And I can't quite figure out why the actual X's and O's are different. Are they doing it at a different angle? Are they doing it at a different distance from the basket? 
do want to roll back around to the ball handler and their scoring ability because that is still what happens on about 75% of pick and rolls is the ball handler just does shoot either a layup jumper or whatever. And Clarkson's 0.11 points better. Tomney's 0.17 points better. And Ingles is 0.19 points better. So they've all made massive, massive jumps from the 80s to just above 100 um, in terms of their efficiency when they do shoot the ball. And I think that's very interesting. Is that just because Rudy Gobert is somehow setting better screens than he was last year? Like, that doesn't seem like that could be it. Are these guys just finishing better? Like, how is Joe Ingles shooting whatever percentage he's shooting from two-point range, um, mostly off these opportunities? And so that is something I've got to figure out. And if Jazz Nation has any ideas, let me know. Brian, if you have any ideas, let me know. Is Why are these ball handlers scoring at such a better rate? Um, because it's a, been a really, really big deal this year. I do think it's got a lot to do with the impact that Rudy has on the role and that defenses know the Jazz ball handlers are looking for him more consistently than they have in years previous. And so guys have to stay a step or two closer to Rudy on that role. They have to get a touch on him as he's moving to the basket. And that gives Donovan Mitchell more room in the mid-range where he's a great shooter. It gives Jordan Clarkson more range in that 8- to 15-foot paint shot that he's so good at. Mike Connolly has been a lot better finishing near the basket because he's able to get open layups that he wasn't able to have previously. And the same for Joe Ingles on that one. He's able to get to the basket. We talk about his two-point percentage being so high. Well, the only two-point shots Joe takes are wide-open layups and occasionally a contested layup, but I'd say more often than not, Joe still ends up getting fouled on those. One thing, as we start to wrap up here, McKay, that I wanted to ask you about a number that was interesting to me was Bojan Bogdanovic. And we know that he's struggled overall this year, hasn't had nearly as good of a season as he did last year. His pick-and-roll opportunities have have gone down quite a bit this year by almost two full pick-and-roll chances a game, but he's actually more efficient in those. How's that possible? Yeah, I noticed that as well, and I was going to bring that up, that maybe the biggest factor is that we haven't talked about, um, and that's just getting Boyan out of bad situations in here. So you mentioned last year he had he finished 2.7 plays a game as the pick-and-roll ball handler. He was only getting about four-fifths of a point on those, and now he's up over a point a play on those, but he's only getting one a game. So you t- cut it down from three to one, but he gets an extra quarter of a point for you. It is a very interesting thing. So I do think that's a lot of just film study over the summer as well as maybe the wrist injury or whatnot. But Boyan's not getting pick and roll opportunities this year like he was last year. And it's not only helped his efficiency improve a ton, but it's also taken away the negative effects of him, you know, basically wasting three possessions a game last year. So I just think that's interesting that the Jazz are doing a better job getting their players who are good in positions that they're good at, um, which is another testament to how great and phenomenal Quinn Snyder is, because contrary to popular belief, I do not hate Quinn Snyder. I think he's done a <laughs> magnificent job this year. Um, and so, yeah, but I do think, at least as we talk through this, it all does come back to the improvement of Mike Conley. Um, for Mike Conley going from a rough, not great, what did we just do to get this guy player to a NBA all-star? Um, and he has just been so, so, so much better this year that it's made a huge impact on the Jazz, and it is simple um, to just think that that's the reason the Jazz are better. I think oftentimes we look and we go, okay, 10th to 1st is a big jump, but when you actually look at the NBA, like go look at college numbers or something like that, when you look at the NBA, the difference between the Jazz and the Thunder or the Rockets or the Timberwolves is not as big as we like to think. The Jazz and Timberwolves are probably only separated by about a 10th of a point, offensively and defensively, and so that's why the Timberwolves can come into Utah and beat the Jazz in a single game is because the bad NBA teams are really, really good, and the good NBA teams are not perfect like we sometimes think they are. Mm-hmm. And so with the margin of error is so thin, little things like that can make a difference to take you from borderline contender slight disappointment to full-fledged championship contender borderline favorites. Um, it's just as simple as Mike Conley being a lot better in the pick-and-roll for Rudy Gobert this year because you get three points better as a team, three points over 100 possessions, that is a huge, huge, huge jump in terms of the NBA, even though that might be hard to notice with the eye test as you watch a full game, or just how impactful three points can be um, per game. So I do think a lot of it does come back to just Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert being much better this year, and then that goes back another level to Quinn Snyder playing those guys together. Um, you know, we always talk about how Boyan and Rudy were tied at the hip last year, and now Mike and Rudy are tied at the hip this year um, and how impactful that has been. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier in that when you talked about Quinn's ability to put players in the best situation possible to maximize their their skill set. 
and we know that Bojan can handle the ball a little bit, but is he particularly good in the pick and roll? Not really. So limiting those pick and roll opportunities, making him more of a post up or spot up shooter at the three point line, I think is really intelligent. Putting Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles in those pick and roll situations with Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Did you have anything else for us today, McCade? Yeah, I do want to just pound home one more time. I know I brought it up, but then you pound it home. Now I'm going to repound it home. Just how great Quinn Snyder is at getting his players that he trusts into positions to succeed. Uh, this whole thing started on Twitter when I was looking at isolation numbers because Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley have both just fallen off a cliff isolation-wise this year, um, which doesn't really matter. It's only about six plays a game for the Jazz as a whole. We'll see if it matters in the playoffs. But Clarkson was, I think, in the 90th percentile last year. is now down like the 35th percentile this year in isolation. And I think a lot of that just comes back to Quinn Snyder saying, look, Clarkson, I know you're great in isolation. I know you're good. But let's just bring the screener up anyway. And overall, it will be a better thing because being in the 90th percentile in isolation is still less valuable than being in the 40th percentile in pick and roll, let alone the 70th or whatever Clarkson is in pick and roll. And so a lot like James Harden and Houston and how they got rid of Clint Capella because James Harden didn't need the screener, it wasn't worth it. Jordan Clarkson getting the screener has tanked his isolation numbers, in my opinion, but has really upped his pick and roll numbers, which overall is a net positive. And so even noticing that, you know, sometimes doing more of a good thing and less of a bad thing, even if you're good at the bad thing, can still bring value to a team. And Quinn Snyder, I think, recognized that with Clarkson specifically. And Clarkson's improvement in the pick and roll, I think, is another thing, as well as Conley's that we do got to mention. His passing has been a lot better this year. We talked about that as well. So just one more shout out there of Quinn Snyder realizing something that he can do to help the team be better, even if it makes some of Clarkson's specific numbers look worse. Um, because that's what we're all here about at a home court press, is we want the Jazz to be better, and we are preparing to celebrate a championship this summer because we are talking it to an existence. And, uh, yeah, that's just my final thought, is we're going to win a championship this summer. The Jazz are going to win a title this year, and the hashtag JazzPod Co-op is going to celebrate like crazy. So we've got Mark and Doug Hinsey over in the twos and threes, who, Logan, and Jared with hitting the high notes, Emily and McCoy on the Jazz of Gals, and Jedi and Germs have made a triumphant return to Utah Jazz Twitter. We've got a whole lot to look for, a whole lot of content talking about this Jazz title in the future as McCade and I have started speaking it into existence. Where can they find you on social media, McCade? You can find me at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Um, I do got to throw in a quick little story there that I called to make a doctor's appointment the other day, and they asked me how to spell my name, and I did say M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8, and the lady got really confused, and then I realized <laughs> what I said, and yeah, that's what this podcast has done to me, so <laughs> it might be my official first name moving forward. <laughs> McCade P-8, I like it. I I think you should roll with it, man. Just it, Well, then she had to ask, she's like, so the 8 isn't part of your name, but is it the P? And I was like, oh my gosh, I just got to restart. Like, I cannot believe I just did that. So <laughs> this is what you're bringing to my life, Brian. Perfect. I love it. You can find Home Court Press on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. And then you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E 24. And I typically don't add the 24 when I'm spelling my name for people. But who knows? Maybe that's that's <laughs> coming in the future. Maybe it's just my memory from getting old. I don't even think about it anymore. It who is knows? the future. <laughs> well, if you like what you're hearing on Home Court Press, McCade and I love putting out the show if you could take just two minutes of your valuable time, share, rate, and review the program so more people can find it. I still got those jazz tickets available. If if it doesn't happen this season, it'll happen next year, and I'm going to get some people putting reviews up to Utah Jazz basketball game. So we'll finish it as we always yeah. do. McCade, you got this one? Take note. Hey, take a quick look at Snyder. Now take a quick look at Spider. Since 08, yeah, I've been a rider. Utah Jazz keep getting higher. Damn, all I can say now is whoa. Royce with the D, Royce with the O. One thing Jazz Nation gotta know. Clarkson's nickname is Sicko Mode. Even on the road, four more threes from Jiggling Joe. My breath stopped with Donovan gone. But Ingles came out looking like LeBron. Like, damn, Conley with the Midas touch. Bogey drops 30. Yeah, that's clutch. Utah Jazz is doing their thing. My all-star vote, hashtag Niang. I do not like the Lakers, I just like D-Favors, Utah Jazz, they rock my socks, go bear, I love you and I love all your blocks. Are we surprised? This is a year we collect our prize, 2021 Utah Jazz champs, heard it here first, now blast this jam like damn. It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you, tap a tap a keg, is the Bomb crew just won by 30, what you gonna do like damn. 
is true. Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg is the Yager Bomb crew just one by 30. What you gonna do like? It's true. Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg is the Yager Bomb crew just one by 30. What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg is the Bomb crew just one by 30. Hold up, hold up. Coming wrong strong. Donovan, 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 Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, 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 Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, 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 Donovan Mitchell.